Welcome to CFO Insights, the leading podcast for finance professionals in disruptive tech, brought to you by the Startup CFO community. I'm Guy Hutchinson, and I'm the host of the podcast, as well as being a tech CFO. In this episode, we're going to talk to Kyle Grennan, COO of the groundbreaking dating app, Field. Kyle takes us through his finance career and how a natural inclination to focus on the details led him to building an expertise in planning and a focus on the metrics. In fact, it was this entrepreneurial journey that led him to his current role at Field. We explore how growth can come from a focus on product development, as well as revealing some intriguing insights on the power of patience when it comes to the media spotlight. Here at Startup CFO, we are big fans of the new digital procurement service, Batisse. Founded in the UK by serial entrepreneurs and brothers Elder and Roy Tuvey, Vatice is a technology company designed to help startups manage their SaaS spend. To find out how to streamline your renewals, get visibility on your tech stack, and most importantly, cut your total SaaS spend by 20 to 30%, visit vertice.one or send me a message in our Slack account, and I'll be happy to make an introduction. Carl, welcome to the podcast. Yeah, thanks for having me, Guy. Appreciate it. That's all right. That's all right. I mean, um, we've had you as part of our group for quite a few years uh, when you were over in London uh, and obviously now over in the States with Field, which has done incredibly well from things that I've heard. Uh, and you were introed by Nick Lally, who was, oh, must have been in the first 10 members for sure. Uh, and Nick was at Halo for some time and then most recently at Ravelin, uh, where he's founder, C- COO and CFO. Um, so, you know, it's been great to have you in, and, and we've always known that you're someone with really kind of deep expertise with early stage businesses, you know, building models, and then of course in recent years as COO with Feel. It'd be really interesting just to hear a bit about your kind of personal story, um, how you got interested in these early stage companies uh, and finance and the ops piece. Yeah, sure. Um, I guess on the finance side, uh, I. It probably started at a very young age. Uh, I remember when I was six or seven years old getting a savings account and that was one of my hobbies is to open the bank statements and see how much interest I got. Um, wasn't a lot, but I uh, always found that interesting. And then uh, that kind of just carried on through throughout um, uh, education and career. Um, but yeah, it was about eight years ago, I, I moved to London. Um, I didn't really know anyone there and... Uh, kind of took a, a risk going there following, following a girl, but um, yeah, started uh, applying at different companies. It really couldn't get in for an interview, but I found the startup community was really inviting and open. Um, that was actually how I met, met Nick Lally, one of the few people that would respond to any of my emails. Um, and, uh, but I, I found pretty quickly too, that there was a, you know, a, a need for the skill set I had. I'd spent several years um, in Las Vegas you know, kind of doing internal consulting, finance, strategic finance roles, um, understanding the drivers of a business, understanding how to, to model that out to determine ROI of, of investments and, and efficiencies. And, um, and that's why I connected with, a, uh, you know, when I first moved to London, connected with a, uh, a prop tech startup. Uh, so in the hospitality space um, and kind of went from there. So um I did that for about a year and then started doing some portfolio CFO work, um, which I didn't even really know was a thing at the time. Uh, and that work started picking up to the point where uh, 
had more work than I could do. So um, brought, brought on a, a partner to uh, start a company called Ralston, where we were offering CFO services and, and kind of a, a primary expertise around financial modeling uh, for, for growth stage businesses. And um, early on, about, about that time, that was also when I started working with, with Field. Uh, so I initially joined as a CFO um, and uh, it, it basically moved into the, the COO role about four years ago. Hmm. Um, but yeah, and then that's kind of brought us to today. Yeah, yeah. So, so there's lots there, right? So I think a lot of CFO types, um, they, they, well, you know, CFO types in tech, they have a combination of things that you've touched on there. So they have this piece where they care about the details. They are the type of person that would have a savings account and would check how much interest you get, right? And um, get get some satisfaction from um, that, that, that verification and caring about the money, frankly. But there's also this other side of the coin where in an early part of your career, you were in Vegas, you're working in gambling businesses. Gambling is well known to be very sort of data metric driven businesses, as, as you've mentioned. Um, and so mm. you're kind of forming this almost like vital balance that tech CFOs have, which is um, you care about all the details, but there's also a side of you that's quite happy to, to, to take some risk, but is really looking for those things to be like smart measured risks. Yeah, I think so. I mean, I, I always had an interest in the gaming industry uh, pretty early on. And I think partially for that reason, it's just exciting. It's fun. Um, Vegas is, you know, is a risky place, um, not even just for, you know, the, the gambling aspect of it, but there's really large bets that are made there by developers and, and uh, gaming companies as well. Um, it's, it's constantly turning over, constantly trying to optimize um, so yeah, so I mean, uh, that, that definitely, uh, draws a connection to, I think, to the startup world. Yeah. 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 Fantastic. And, um, I, so I'm, I'm, I'm intrigued, right? So a lot of the portfolio CFOs that we have in the group and we, we have us, well, we must have well over 70, uh, they'll often say that because they can work with three, four, five clients at once and really get to connect with the founders, it's a great way to pick a business, right? It's almost like, you have a bit more intel than maybe even the VCs do who are in the business of picking businesses. Was that how you picked mm. field? Yeah, I think so. I mean, um, and, and again, probably, you know, similarly, it, it's an exciting business. It's, um, it was looking at things in a new way. It's, um, you know, the, the nature of it is interesting. Um, but I, I was fortunate to, you know, CFO for uh, some really great founders and some great companies. Um, and this for, one reason or another was the, the company that was always um, sticking with and then eventually, um, you know, came over to exclu exclusively. Um, but yeah, I, I would agree with that point. I mean, um, I've been a part of, you know, lots of due diligence uh, opportunities or through fundraisers or exits. Um, and it, it comes, comes pretty naturally when you already understand all the drivers of the business, everything that's underlying it. Uh, and able to have those conversations about um, or, or be able to have a view as well of whether or not you think a company will be successful in the end. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's interesting that um, that essentially portfolio finance people end up with a little bit of a mindset, a bit like a you know, VC has got to pick a good good bet. So, uh, yeah, intriguing. Mm -hmm. And we should um, expand a bit on field, right? So so uh, it's, it's in the dating space. Uh, it, it's had quite a bit of press 
Um, so it'd be, be interesting just to sort of understand, you know, a little bit about its unique position in, in the dating space. Yeah, so um, so I probably start from the origin. The the app was initially called Thrinder, um, and it was uh, a dating app exclusively for for threesomes. So it was uh, pretty unique, pretty uh, uh, sexually open and uh, maybe explicit. But um, we we pivoted the company uh, in 2016, um, and really the the focus was more about uh, that open-mindedness and inclusion within dating. And um, we found really our niche and um, a, an unmet need in that industry and really in society around um, a, a space for people to, to go and explore and be curious and uh, express themselves. So we were uh, you know, one of the, the first apps to have multiple um, sexualities and multiple genders, identities, and um, as well as multiple, uh, you know, for, di- forms of relationships as well. So, um, and, and we've kind of, we actually feel really what's been happening in the last few years. And one of the reasons that we're, uh, we've had the success we've had is, uh, we, we found culture and society is kind of catching up to that positioning that we've, uh, really established since, um, since we pivoted in 2016. Mm, and, and that, and that story is actually quite, quite common in, other businesses that that go on and later have real scale, which is that you probably have to be a little bit ahead of the curve, just just ahead of some developments in society in order to really reap the benefits with the product. You can't be a year or two behind. You need to be maybe a year or two ahead. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and we have plenty of examples about us being too early, um, especially like in the, you know, in the CFO position, being, with, uh, being a CFO for a company like this, we, uh, had our you know the door slammed in our face several times when it comes to uh, kind of professional uh, service providers or institutions. So lots of banks and lawyers um, not not really interested in in working with us. So it's interesting challenges when you're ahead of the society in in the way that we have been. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I bet. And 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 like when we spoke the other day, we were talking a little bit about dating and how dating is one of the bigger sub-segments of the marketplace proposition. And almost it's not it's not easy to think about it that way. That 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 does mean that that there is a thing in what you're offering, which is about the users, right? Like part of the benefit for users that join the app is that some of the users that you already have using the app. Yeah, absolutely. Um I, I mean that that's uh basically a lot while ago a product person said to me that um you know, the user experience is really largely based on the people that are on the platform. Um, and it, it's almost a community. I, I feel that we're one of the few dating apps that actually has a, a community. Um, but that's certainly how we think about it. Um, you know, it is a marketplace, but it's also, um, you know, people that are there for very unique things and the, the things that they want change and uh, the people that they want to meet changes. And uh, yeah, it's, it's quite unique. Yeah, 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 fantastic. And 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 um, tell me a little bit about your personal journey there, right? So, so you started off as the CFO, so you're building models, you're putting in some financial processes, and then later on there's this transition to COO. I think for a lot of our members who who are predominantly CFOs and FDs, um, some of that that journey will be interesting. I mean, it might might be curious just to understand what the triggers were for that transition. Yeah, sure. So. Um... 
the when I first joined, yeah, it was it was primarily all focused on the finance side of things. Um, we uh, I, we actually hadn't really grown for a few years, and part of the reason for that was the um, I think the founder was a little burnt out or, you know, otherwise just didn't really want to grow the business, didn't want to really manage a larger business. So there was a bit of a, a gap there in that regard. And um, I was very interested in growing the business. I thought there was a lot of opportunity. And um, so uh, had the had the opportunity to take ownership of a lot of things, um, you know, in responsibilities and setting initiatives and how we were going to spend our resources. So kind of you know, definitely moved away from reporting and advising into uh, the actual decision makings and um, directing those resources. And I think that's where it, it started to transition to the COO role. Um, and then that, that's kind of grown that way since then. Yeah, yeah, that's interesting. And and, and um, you mentioned earlier that when you went to banks or perhaps you went to raise, you know, capital or something, um, that, that because of the segment that you operate in and the kind of nature of the business itself, that some of these people just kind of, you know, refuse to engage with you or, you know, wouldn't make offers that they would have done to a more conventional business. Yeah, I think, I mean, it's difficult in the dating industry in general. Um, I think in the last year or so, I feel like there's, uh, there's less stigma around it. So you've had, you know, Bumble go public, Grinder went public recently. Um, match group got added to the S&P 500. It's um, just dating in general. But then we are in a segment that people don't understand or makes them uncomfortable because we're, we're very sex positive. Um, uh, we've been, we're fortunate though that we haven't raised a lot of money. So we did a, you know, maybe a, you probably refer to as a pre-seed round uh, in 2015 of $500,000. And since then we've been completely revenue funded and profitable. Um, so, and we, we didn't really have a lot of interest to, to raise money. Um, I'm sure there was not as much opportunity, uh, especially for the years when we weren't growing very quickly, but, um, uh, so we didn't have that, that experience necessarily from investors, but, uh, certainly on the other side of things. Yeah. And, and do you think that, 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 that window where, essentially the money that you have put into growth is money that you've you know, reinvested out of revenue, right? That's uncommon in startup world where the bulk of startups and scale-ups are funded through a series of funding rounds. Do you think it's made the culture of the business different where you've been perhaps a little more kind of savvy or resourceful about how you direct where you put the capital for growth? Oh yeah. I mean, I, I, I assume so. I mean, most of my experience now is uh, is in this type of environment um, where it's not, you know, you're you're raising money to get to the next raise uh, or accomplish things that are not necessarily going to get you a clear path to profitability in that time. Um, so, yeah, so we we scrutinize all of the investments that we make. Um, you know, when we do our budgeting, we, we have to be hitting a certain amount of profit. Um, and we, you know, we pull the plugs, we pull the plug on things when they're not working. Um, and we've actually seen too, I mean, the, certainly the climate shift shifted in the last year. Um, we've had a lot of interest just inbound uh, from, from VCs that are now just taking notice of us because of our revenue growth. But um, we also have that profitable profitability story as, as well. Yeah, that's a great position to find yourself in. That's really nice. And, and, and I'm really interested in... Um, 
the pull the plug bit because I can almost imagine if we were doing this as a virtual event, the kind of you know questions we'd get. So I feel sure we'd certainly get the question from somebody, which is uh, how do you frame the discussion? And this is normally with like the marketing people or the CMO or somebody like that. How do you frame the discussion about we, you know, we now know that we don't have sufficient ROI in a certain activity. And so we're going to stop that one. How did you manage that internally? Because most businesses go through that type of learning. And I'm just curious how Field went about it, bearing in mind that you're not funding growth out of great big A rounds and B rounds. You're funding it out of what you're earning. Yeah. Um, it's a lot of scrutinizing, I guess, month to month. Um, the It's an interesting uh, situation. The Our CEO... Um, you know, she's a, a designer and creative background and focused on the product and, um, and, and a lot of initiatives that she's supported haven't necessarily had like a clear, um, immediate ROI. And I think that's been a big learning for me actually is evaluating what are the things that we're expecting to, uh, produce a result early on, or at least, you know, a tangible result that we uh, can see. So we try to understand how we're going to measure the success of the investments that we're making. Um, and it's probably, it's something that I'm talking about with our, uh, you know, our people within growth and marketing, like very, very regularly uh, in terms of spending. So I, I don't think it's a surprise when we're, uh, when we're challenging those things. Um, but definitely we'll, uh, th there's been times where, uh, where we've had to, um, you know, if we, hired a PR agency or say we've started scaling performance marketing. That's probably the area that's, I feel is the easiest way to waste money. Um, but we, we take a very good look at the data and, um, that supports whether or not this is having the impact that we expect it to. Yeah. So essentially be, be really data centric and try to establish expectations right at the start before you've committed to something as to what, what you'd be looking to happen for it to continue as an ongoing thing or for it to be capped. Yeah, so, and I think what one of the things that we learned too is, um, I mean, if you don't do that, if you don't set up like what, what are the expected results of these things, um, I think my expectations early on were all of the things we were doing were gonna have larger impacts. Um, but things that we look at is, is not necessarily like this huge spike, but you know, sustainable growth wins, um, things that are going to, you know, increase our growth rate in users or increase our conversion to paid or something like this. So, um, so those are, so there's, I guess more to it. Yeah. When we talk about like, what is the, uh, the data behind it, the, the things that we're looking at might, might be different based on the investment. Yeah. 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 And actually we should touch on, uh, something that we ended up talking over, uh, last time that we spoke. So we discussed, um, a number of media articles that you had from really big brands, right? Both uh, in the mm. UK and the US. Uh, and and I think at that time we talked a little bit about the degree to which they were big levers and really opened up uh, opportunities for lots of users to, you know, come on board and sample field. Um, mm. But but it would be interesting just to hear about that because quite a lot of businesses will go through windows when they think that a lot of the growth is going to come through PR. Um, all that mm -hmm. type of exposure. And, and I'm just curious what uh, your experience was of that type of thing. Yeah, I think we're probably unique in this because um, we actually look at, at press as a, um, 
a sustainable growth driver for us. Uh, I mean, but I think that that's unique to us. Like our, um, our, like we cater to people for people to be curious about their own sexuality or about sexuality. And I think that that's naturally always going to be something that's interesting to talk about. Um, but we also, we understood that our brand reputation is really the core to our success. And um, it, it, it trickles down into how we design the product, our communication, um, to our designs, to um, how we run our business, um, uh, but also into the community and like the types of people that we attract into the business or into onto the platform. Um, so that, that's been something that we, we did continuously invest in. And um, so probably a good example of that and one where it did get scrutinized. We invested, uh, you know, started working with a PR agency a few years ago um, as an investment towards that. And um, we started seeing the, the quality and quantity start to pick up because we were able to be a little bit more deliberate about um, who we were talking to and when. Um, so we've, I think last year we had about 1500 uh, pieces of press, which was up from about 700 the year before, which was wow. up from about two, 250 the year before that. Um, so it's, yeah, it's continued to be uh, successful for us. Yeah, amazing. Yeah, yeah. I, th I think that's not the most common story of PR to see that kind of really hockey shaped ramp in the numbers. But it's interesting that um, if you strike the right chord with the right type of proposition at the right time, um, it's going to come for you. And, and, and that probably lines up a little bit with this idea that maybe five or six years ago, you were a couple of years ahead of the general attitudes in society. Um, and that and that might explain a little bit why you suddenly get this big lump of growth later on in terms of PR attention. Yeah, it could be. Um, so, I mean, the, the biggest piece of press that we had, or I should say most impactful piece of press we had last year was um, an article in the, the New Yorker that I think um, what sticks out to me and it is not just, you know, the New Yorker is obviously a very well respected publication, but uh, the, the quality of uh, how they how they spoke about us, I guess, um, was it, it was almost exactly what we uh, have been projecting and what we believe in and what we've uh, you know tried to position ourselves, but who we believe we are as well. And it's something that we've believed for years, um, but we're now seeing uh, these major publications are, are talking about us the, the same way we've been talking about us. Yeah, that's interesting. And and one last question on that because I think there will be people out there that are curious about how to leverage a big brand like like New Yorker. Uh, did, you, did you have an awareness that there was a journalist there that had interest in your proposition or was it a complete surprise? So, um, so this is actually an interesting one and something that I, I mentioned as, you know, as well about like investments that we made historically. Um, it it go, goes back to your question about like scrutinizing the return turns on things and understanding that there's some investments that we're making that are going to have long-term opportunities or create long-term opportunities. Um, so what rem rem that qu question reminds me of uh, an investment we made uh, and four years ago now um, into a, um, a literary journal uh, called Mal. And we, uh, we think we published four volumes of it. And at the time I <laughs> was not the most supportive in terms of us you know, committing a lot of resources to it because we had very limited resources and um, the, the business objectives weren't very clear to me, uh, particularly at the time. 
Um, but so that uh, us for doing something like that uh, really s spoke to uh, the journalists, I believe, who wrote this piece and um, and also building our reputation. Um, so we've found that, you know, things like that that we've done that, you know, I, I take no credit for, but um, things like that, that, you know, Demo and Anna, our founders have done, um, that, that's been a catalyst has been, you know, taken a long time to do that. Um, I think that particular um, uh, journalist as well reached out to us. So again, it was really about building that, that reputation um, through different activities and, uh, and branding. But uh, so it's taken a long time to, to build to that opportunity. Yeah. And that, and that sounds like for some businesses, that's important to be patient, just to accept that some of those things they're going to be more years than months. Uh, but if your instincts back it and you think you're sufficiently interesting that, 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 that the articles will come in the end, then that's probably the way to go. Yeah, I think so. I mean, like I said, uh, our, our brand, and I think we're, um, you know, there's a lot of trust that we, we build up with our, uh, with our user base. And uh, so our reputation is, is really critical and vital to our success. Um, so it's something that we've always been very protective of uh, the, the words that we use and um, the things that we put out there. Uh, a lot of thought goes into it. Uh, it's very deliberate. Um, I, don't, I don't know if that's, I, I think that's true for every business to some degree, but certainly um, I think that it's probably more important for us than most businesses. Yeah. Yeah. Understood. That that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Very good. So um, we should move on to what our, our CFO listeners might, might be curious about, right? So when we look at the big segments in the startup CFO group, uh, I mean, like the, the biggest segment we have is actually SaaS, right? And probably not too far behind that, we've got things like health tech and prop tech. Uh, but actually, certainly the top five or six, we've got marketplace, right? And we know that the majority of dating businesses at some level have a marketplace type dynamic. Um, so I'm sure people will be curious, like, you know, for for a business with that type of dynamic, like, are there some lessons that other CFOs might 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 seek to learn that that that, that could be applied in other businesses? Yeah, I mean, uh, for marketplaces, especially um, you know, when it's, it's location based, like like ours, um, which I think you know, majority of ours to some degree, and and you want to have, you need to have some kind of density. Um, it's always, I think that it's valuable to focus really locally um, and, and build up that density. And, but to that point too, it, you know, something that um, I think we understand or that I've learned over the years is too, is that it's better to have, um, you know, a hundred users that, that love you, love what you've built uh, rather than, you know, 10,000 or a hundred thousand that just think it's okay. Um, we find that, you know, despite our, our marketing efforts, um, really the biggest growth driver is, is the product that we're building, the, the quality of the, the network and, and our community. Um, and then we find that, that that really refers out as well. So, um, you know, we've had a, uh, up until the last couple of years, uh, almost everything has been uh, I guess, I think you would call it organic. You know, we had about 95% of our installs come from organic sources and only 5% from paid installs. Um, so that, that's been a big focus for us is, 
um, continue to to build a product that people love. I think it's it's historically it's been very unique to everything that's out there. Um, and then when we have started investing in marketing, um, we we've you know started looking on a lot of our activities on a localized basis and how can we affect the uh, the growth rates by by each market. Mm, yeah, that is interesting. And 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 um, are there any learnings about kind of product about how you think about the product enhancements and where they sit in the growth journey? Yeah, definitely. Um, so I think I had mentioned to you that we we went through a few years where we hadn't we weren't really growing. Um, there's several reasons for that. Um, I do think like our um, uh, one of our founders and who was CEO at the time was uh, kind of burnt out and um, was even focusing on building different products. And um, we weren't really, I don't think we were really geared towards growth, but when we you know set out, set that as an objective, one of the things we, we started doing is, you know, all the decisions we were making was, was towards growth. And uh, that included uh, what was going on in the product and, um, and I, I think one of the early things we did uh, when we we shifted in 2019, we um, hired a head of growth that came in and brought in CRM, um, which kind of opened up our ability for uh, messaging in an app and, and connecting with users and in a unique way and um, and making like kind of real quick changes and um, and we were also we we focused on specific metrics. So one of the early ones was uh, we wanted to increase, you know, the number of users that are on a paid plan. Um, and that was something that through that initiative, we were able to do pretty quickly. And, um, you know, in 2020 is really when we saw our growth rates start to, to tick up um, quite rapidly. Uh, and that was one of the, one of the contributors to it. So um, aside from that, like other examples really, around the same time, well, in 2020, uh, one of the big releases for us, we, we introduced a new paid feature, um, which then also allowed us to uh, do different things around packaging in our in our subscriptions. Um, and, you know, either focusing on getting more people onto paid plans or focusing on um, the amount of money that people are spending uh, for each product, so average revenue per paying user. Um, so yeah, so it's really uh, you, you mentioned SaaS metrics. You know, acquisition is only twenty percent of the uh, of your pirate metrics, and um, and really focusing across all, all of those areas is it has been key for us. Yeah, yeah. So that 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 sounds a bit like you know, if you're doing the COO role or the CFO role well, at some level you're able to frame the product things that that the product people want to do, but to frame them in a manner where um, there's going to be measurable growth in terms of revenue or perhaps revenue per user or both of those things um, as you kind of, kind of overlay the, the product piece with what, what that should mean to commercially. Yeah, I think so. I mean, um, and it kind of like, you know, going full circle, how I was mentioning my career starting in uh, casinos and hotels and understanding the drivers of the business. Like these are now the drivers of the business. And, and that's, I think I, uh, that's certainly the lens that I bring when we're having, uh, these discussions, like on a product level or, you know, any, any other level really, but like, or any department, uh, but when we're deciding what we're going to build, um, 
you know, that's, that may not always be uh, top of mind for uh, the other people that are involved there. You know, I'm constantly the person reminding, you know, what our, what our goals are around revenue. What are the other, um, what are the other drivers of the business and, and are they at pace or do we feel like we can make improvements there? We do, um, you know, we do benchmarking for the, for our drivers as well. So we look at what other companies in our space are able to achieve and, we debate whether or not we think we can achieve that. And if we can, how, how can we get there? Um, and, and again, that's not necessarily the perspective that, uh, you know, someone that's focused on product design or um, engineering or delivery um, that they might not necessarily have that, uh, that point of view on it. Yeah. Cause that's, that's kind of part of our role, right. Is to be the prompt. So to allow mm-hmm. people like those in product roles to deliver the product outcomes but for us to continue to have a, a role prompting around what that means for commercial outcomes what that might mean for things like revenue uh etc etc it's um it's a good it's a good reminder that all of these uh decisions are a team effort and that you know a finance person would be able to do the product bit but a product person would perhaps be able to go and model and understand what the outcomes could be in terms of revenue or other other things yeah and it, yeah it's absolutely right i mean it's a, a balance um so it's a you know gave the example of the the literary journal that that we did that there's a balance where i may not understand the all everything that they're um that our creative team sees or that our product team sees um and i'm certainly not there to make the decisions for them uh i'm there to as you put it uh give props and and uh, uh give a point of view and set things up in a certain way so that we're thinking about them uh, through uh, a different perspective. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Yeah. So um, we should talk a bit more about field. So, so look, I mean, um, those are really good takeaways. I think anybody in like a, a marketplace business or even just any data centric business um, would benefit greatly from those, those points. And, uh, you know, they are really interesting takeaways. Uh, it, it would also be interesting just to know about field, like, like you know, what, 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 what things are coming in the future. Um, it'd be great to have a sense as to um, things that are coming down the pipeline. Yeah, sure. Um, yeah, so I mean, lots of exciting things really. We, last year, um, you know, we kind of completed for the most part uh, our, our efforts to build out, you know, experienced leadership team. We feel like we put a strong team in place and have, um, kind of press go on a lot of uh, longer term initiatives, which will be uh, launching this year. Um, so one of the things we are going through, like a, uh, going through a brand refresh um, and also replatforming for a product, we've uh, a lot of our tech stacks on eight year old MVP. Um, and so we, it's going to open up a lot of functionality and what we can do. And because we're, because we've kind of doubled down on our brand investments and we've, um, put a lot of work into really understanding who we are uh, that's going to start coming across even, even more strongly in, in our product and, and design. Um, so, yeah, so we're very excited about that this year um, be towards the um, towards fall or towards the end of the year that these things will start coming out. Yeah, that's exciting. That sounds really good. And, um, you know, we could spend all evening uh, talking about this, Kyle, um, really interesting to hear about your story. Like, like I think a lot of, a lot of our members that are are interested in developing their commercial skills with the modeling and things and where that will go in the end to understand that it can 
end up being a COO role in a really exciting business like Field that's doing something uh, that hasn't been done before and you're seeing some really strong growth in terms of revenue and users. Um, it's been really exciting to um, learn about the Field story, learn about your personal story. So thank you very much for being on and talking through these things. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I appreciate the time, Guy. It's great to get a chance to speak with you. Yeah, fantastic. You were listening to CFO Insights brought to you by Startup CFO. If you're a finance professional working in disruptive tech and would like to join our global network, visit our website, startupcfo.tech, to learn more. This podcast was part of our CFO Insights series of discussions. And if you want to learn more about the Startup CFO group, follow us on LinkedIn to learn more about our community and the upcoming events. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast.